the most important thing as an entrepreneur is surrounding yourself with people that will help your business be a success. And if you have kids, well, they come too, wherever you go. That's the advice from Elizabeth Tweedale, founder of Cypher, the online coding school for kids. A fearless entrepreneur as both flyer in the university cheer squad and computer science captain, she learned early on that finding a way to connect to individuals helps you break down stereotypes sooner and be seen as equal. Thank you so much for joining us and um, for letting me disturb your dinner because obviously it's dinner time or tea time. <laughs> Actually, it's 8 a.m. So we're got the opposite. Ah, it's the other way. I'm it's trailing breakfast. you. <laughs> it's breakfast <laughs> <Yes>. time. <laughs> breakfast time. Well, uh, hopefully you've got your Weetabix in you and um, you're ready to fully leave us all fully charged with what you're going to tell us about cyber today. Cyber today. Yes, I hope so. So um, before we get into what you're doing now, um, when I read your story, um, your school uh, years immediately piqued my interest um, because mm-hmm. it's almost like, Elizabeth, you're my solution to what I've said is that we need to get a coder on Strictly because you're nearly <laughs> the, you nearly did the same thing. You were president <laughs> of your computer science club. Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, you yep, were also, that's right. um, you were the head cheerleader. I just, yeah. I just, I love it. I just think it's just, that's the two worlds colliding um, and showing the world that anything can be done. But that must have been, you must have been quite unique um, it, back in back in those days. Can you tell us a bit yes. about it? How did you even end yeah. up in both? Yeah, I I mean, I definitely had two different uh, friend circles, <laughs> if you will. Um, but I think Ever since I was young, uh, my grandmother in particular uh, just told me that women and girls can do whatever they want. So just go out there and do it. You can become president of the United States if you want, heaven forbid, (laughs) or, um, you know, stay at home and be a mother and raise beautiful children. And she also imparted on me that you can do all of them at the same time if you put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. So I was really passionate about dance and cheerleading. So I was Uh, captain of the dance team in high school and we competed in nationals and on ESPN all these exciting trips and things um, cheering and dancing Um, but I was also really interested in technology and computers because my dad on the weekends we would be building computers and things because he worked in IT and a lot of other really cool entrepreneurial jobs Mm. and things so it just kind of came naturally for me and because I like to game I took a math um, class in university um, and wanted to be a math major, but one of the courses that we took was computer science as an intro course, which of course the intro class had about 50% girls, 50% boys, because it counted towards a lot of different majors, but I just loved it. So I switched straight away to become a computer science major at the same time, and then just got as involved as I could in um, the kind of extracurricular activities that went along with it, which happened to be the computer science club where we would uh, tackle lots of kind of interesting questions about computing or go on field trips and things to see supercomputers, <laughs> really <laughs> kind of nerdy things, but I loved it. So yeah, I um, volunteered to be president and nobody really ran against me, whether they just didn't have the guts or not, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I ended up being captain of the cheerleading team and simultaneously captain or excuse me, president of the computer science club and university at the same time, which was exciting. Yeah. I could them that the university missed a trick there. You would <laughs> something they should have really celebrated. Um, yeah. um and but I like I watched Cheer on was it Netflix? And that, oh, yeah. that is not, that is not a fluffy sport. That is, you know, a pretty badass sport. And, you yeah. know, doing the challenges that you were doing in computer science would have been like pretty intense as well. Is that like, t- I guess that's the type of, like, that's the type of challenge that kind of gets you going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a competitive person, but I also really love working as a team. So um, being on these kinds of team sports and things are really exciting for me. And 
because I'm only five foot two, <laughs> I'm not that tall. So I'm not naturally like a basketball player or yeah. volleyball player, <laughs> not that great of a runner. So dance has always been something that um, I've done since I was young. And that's kind of the building blocks for cheerleading. And so I was one of those flyers that gets thrown up in the air by uh, the bases and gets caught and things. But it is quite intense. You know, we would have to go to the gym and lift weights and kind mm -hmm. of get all of our muscles together. Because even when you're a flyer, you still have to be able to jump in and be a base, yeah. which is the person kind of holding the other ones up <laughs> yeah. uh, if uh, the routine calls for it. So it is quite an intense sport. I remember my mom, when I was young, had a T-shirt that said, dancers are athletes too. And, you know, dance is kind of the foundation of cheerleading because it's something that sometimes gets missed over as a sport mm. in and of itself, but it is very intense training. <laughs> yeah. Fearless, absolutely yeah. fearless. But I think that's carried you through um, your whole career. Um, was there, was there challenges around navigating those two worlds? Like, did you ever fail or treated you know, weird by one group or another, or did they just accept you the way that, that you were? Is that just how it was? Um, I think, you know, I've always kind of been dealing with stereotypes, particularly being um, blonde. And so <laughs> um, in high school, uh, I think one of my first parent-teacher conferences, or um, actually my younger brother's first parent-teacher conference, uh, my mother sat with my English teacher and she said, you know, when your daughter walked in here, I thought, oh, great, another ditzy blonde that isn't going to pay attention in my class. Mm. And then when my when my younger brother walked into her class, she said, oh, well, he must be really studious because, you know, he was little, he had glasses, he looked the kind of, you know, studious part, but actually he is, you know, in those days quite um, aloof and doing his own sort of thing and just hanging about. So we were quite the opposite. So she said, you know, it really surprised me because Elizabeth was really studious and, um, you know, got all of the top marks and things like that. So I kind of had to, from a very young age, sort of fight against those stereotypes. And I think that's what led into kind of being able to navigate that when it came to computer science. And I'd have to say at first it was a challenge sort of interacting with a lot of my male contemporaries but the one thing that got me through it was actually sitting down, going to their dorm rooms and playing a bit of Madden. So playing video <laughs> games with them. As soon as I did that, we were all on the exact same playing field. So it kind yeah. of normalized things. So I think the one thing I take away from it is just trying to find that thing that will make other people see you as a person and not just what you look like on the outside. Because we, you know, this day and age, we're all dealing with different kinds of stereotypes um, mm -hmm. and it's, it's hard to just get through to who's that person on the inside. So finding ways that you can connect with other individuals just makes it break down those stereotypes so much more quickly. Um, and that's, I think what's gotten me through, but it's, you know, it's always something that <laughs> you, you still have to fight against. I had another kind of similar situation when raising investment with, um, my husband in our, um, software company mm -hmm. where I was the CTO of the company, but I would have to come into meetings and I essentially, I didn't look the part of a CTO. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so yeah. after a few meetings, my husband said, you know what, I think you should maybe tie your hair back and maybe wear your glasses. And that might actually, you know, get us, a, it, get us a bit further, you know, get more respect. <laughs> so I did yeah. it. I tried it and I thought, this is ridiculous. If people can't see me for who I am, then, you know, I don't want to be interacting with those types of people anyway. So yeah, whether, you know, you're on one side of the spectrum or the other side of the spectrum, we're all having to break down those barriers. And it's just about keeping going and trying to make those personal connections, I think, that gets us through. Yeah. And that, I guess that resilience that you had gathered over those younger years has probably helped with that. Did you prevail? With the investment at that point or what happened there? We we did. We did prevail. We didn't take investment from the couple of meetings that we had where I got laughed at for being, oh, you're the one in charge of the algorithms. And then ha ha ha. It's just like in the TV shows. Ha ha ha. So we sort of skipped over those, <laughs> but we actually found some really amazing investment yeah. um, from supportive investors. So we're very thankful for that, that yeah. actually see everyone on the team for what they can bring, which is important. Yeah, 
So uh, looking for that meritocracy, um, which yes. is what you achieved with the uh, the c- computer science uh, gang yeah. from the signs of it. Yeah. Um, so you um, you obviously graduated from university and then you went to a well-known, um, somewhat well-known brand to work. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? What did you major in at um, a university and then what did you go on to do? Yeah, so uh, my undergrad was in computer science and art. Um, and then I had a minors in mass art history and graphic design. And I always knew I wanted to then take that into architecture. So I went and received my master's in architecture after that. As in um, computer architecture? or As building? in building, buildings, architecture. Building architecture. <laughs> okay. Like that's yes. a bit... So it was actually the computer science that kind of snuck in behind the scenes because um, my uncle's an architect and I had worked with him in Malibu growing up and I I loved it. So I knew I wanted to go into university to study architecture, but I didn't want to do a full seven years. So you can break it up by doing an undergraduate degree for four years and then three and a half years master's degree so that you can have Mm -hmm. a bit more variety. So when I had Um, went into university, I had math and art as my majors, thinking those would be the perfect things to go into architecture school afterwards. And it was then that I took the computer science class and just loved it, which is why I switched my major. So computer science just sort of snuck in, but I continued on my journey to become um, an architect and did my master's in architecture at Syracuse University in upstate New York, uh, which has a fabulous um, program there. And when I moved to London uh, with my husband about 12 years ago, um, I consulted at uh, Foster and Partners. Well, actually, Future Systems before that, which became Amanda Levy Architects, which was um, really exciting because they had some great projects like the B-Sky B campus and things like that. Hmm. Um, But when I worked at Foster and Partners, um, it was super exciting because I was part of the specialist geometry team. So um, Foster and Partners has sort of Uh, different architecture teams that work on different projects. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there's um, quite a few specialist teams. So the specialist geometry team, we essentially use code and algorithms to design complex geometries or solve problems um, Mm -hmm. using coding. Um, And so I was fortunate enough while I was there to work on really exciting projects like the National Bank of Kuwait, which is this really cool tower, or the Apple campus in Cupertina, um and things like that hang so, on you built you built apple <laughs> <laughs> i i was one of the tiny little cogs that helped in it it's a <laughs> massive project but yes it was amazing and we used a lot of um computational models and coding to actually uh get it done more efficiently so mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting how architecture has been transformed by computer science and coding and it seems appropriate the, doesn't it that apple yeah. uses coding to build its building Exactly. I mean, of course it should. But that's actually one of the reasons why I started teaching children how to code, because when I was at Foster and Partners, um, some of the uh, architects that were on other teams that wanted to learn how to code to, um, you know, facilitate the advancement of their career, were always kind of running up against these stumbling blocks of not understanding how to write a certain piece of code in Python, for example, Mm -hmm. because they didn't have the base fundamentals of computer science telling them how to, how these languages are constructed or how to use a language to solve the problem. So that's when I thought, you know what, this is something that everyone needs to learn how to do and have as a base foundation in their education so that they can apply that to whatever career that they might choose in the future. Yeah, it sounds like it should be another of our sort of core core skills, you know, English, maths and, and coding. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, and you're right, you know, the workplace, um, the types of jobs that we're doing um, are radically changing. You know, I'm laughing um, to myself in a way that I'm writing, uh, a, a, I'm part of a bid writing team in the last week to write a bid for seven million pounds to build a new technology platform. Um, wow. and, um, I, but if you had asked me like two years ago, would I do that? And even if I had six months to do it, I probably would have said, uh, no, <laughs> you <can't. laughs> um, yes, that's but, quite you an know, undertaking. Yeah. But now I'm like, oh yeah, we'll definitely have a go at that. I think we can do it. But, um, 
you know, it's those types. Of, I think it's just you're just absolutely right. Everything's happening so fast. Jobs don't exist yet. You know, you can't teach somebody to be like you've tell me just before we came on air. Your mom's a doctor. Well, you can't. It's, you know, can a kid learn to be a doctor anymore? No, not a hundred percent sure. Kids being born now would learn in the same way, but we can. Yeah. You know, tool them up with you know the skills. Um, you know, we, you know what like what are your views on on all of that? And what jobs do you think they'll end up doing? Um, yes, I know it's so exciting. And even when you, you brought up, you know, medicine, I think the ways that jobs are transforming all kind of incorporate technology, but also those ways that we can learn those those skill sets are also transforming, you know, a lot of training um, and development has gone into how we teach surgeons to operate. And they do it now with virtual reality and these kind of haptic tools that actually put pressure against them so that they're feeling things in a different way. I think um, the most exciting thing about the future of work is that we're creating opportunities for children to create their own types of work. So, you know, you brought up the doctor and the, the quintessential doctor in the future might not be the same that we see it now, you know, whether mm-hmm. you're seeing patients remotely or um, even doing remote surgeries. Those are things that are definitely coming in the immediate future. One of the most exciting things I think about the future of work is that children will be able to create their own job opportunities and use their skill sets to um, transform the way that we see the careers that we have today. So I think um, particularly with technology, I always like to say that we're not trying to create a world of little computer scientists. That's ridiculous. There'll still be those, you know, super amazing, cool coders that are out there writing loads of code or getting algorithms to write code for them. But (laughs) the base understanding of computer science and problem solving and how we use and interact with technology is an essential skill that all of our children will be able to bring to their career set, whether it that they are independent contractors and they have to figure out how to balance their books using software or create in invoices or, um, you know, make their own website to promote themselves or use algorithms on social media. All of those things are um, sort of underpinned by the foundations of computer science and technology. And so I'm really excited about the future of work because it's, it is true that, you know, jobs are going to disappear. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the, the fear that a lot of adults yeah. and parents have. But actually, kids aren't afraid because they know that they those jobs might not exist, but they'll be creating new types of jobs. So mm-hmm. there might not be, you know, the London taxi driver, but actually the London taxi driver might just evolve into this really cool person that has all of this outsider information and is more of like a a little short psychologist that talk, sits there and speaks to you about how are you doing today? Or mm-hmm. do you know about this? Or do you know about that? Yes, some of those things can be automated, but let's focus on what the important things are about human interaction between mm-hmm. each other and use that to shape how careers transform and how we create new careers. So it's just really embracing what makes us human and how we can use technology to support the human and all of us and the interactions that we have with each yeah. other every day. No, absolutely. So it, it's just as it just needs to be another tool in the toolkit, doesn't it? You know, yeah. being able to add, being able to spell and being able to code. You exactly. Know, like you said, it needs to be math, English and computing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but is education, uh, is it at the right now? Like I've, but you know, being in the sort of skills um, industry. Um, oh, hello. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've, got a, we've got a special guest. Yes, Rose is after a chocolate egg, so I mean, <laughs> it's very you know, excited. What's not to love about chocolate eggs? Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, like there's been a lot of conversation recently about the um, the curriculum, computer mm-hmm. science itself, not using computers in the mm-hmm. GCSE. Um, is it? Are we falling short? Are we leaving? Are we abandoning children? And and you know, are they not equipped to tackle these new rules that you're talking about? Or do you think? Um, we're, we're shaping up in the right way. What do you think? Well, I think, you know, it's a, it's a bit of an uphill battle, but I think we've started on, on the race. 
Um, I think the, the most amazing thing that we have in the UK going for us is that we have computing as part of our national curriculum, albeit each of the four countries has it slightly um, <laughs> positioned differently. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would like to see is if we could actually come together between the four countries and have a unified computing curriculum, we could take the best of each, each piece from each of the different <laughs> countries and bring mm-hmm. them together. But the fact that we even have that is the the starting point for um, what we need in the future. And I think the curriculum as we have it now doesn't really afford it enough time because there's still so much emphasis on math and English and preparing for exams. If there was a way uh, to incorporate computing into those subjects, which is really a proponent um, that we push uh, at Cypher by having creative themes and incorporating cross-disciplinary learning, then we could fit computing into the curriculum more rigorously within the different subjects so that we wouldn't necessarily be losing out on our maths and English, but actually we would be kind of pairing those alongside computing and therefore elevating the curriculum as a whole and preparing our children for the future. I think um, technology, as you've said, is is an inevitable part of all of our our futures. And Mm -hmm. the sooner that we can get children uh, comfortable with it and using it in their day-to-day interactions, then the more equipped that they'll be for the future. Yeah, it's like a technology or computer sciences should be the overlay for all subjects. Yes, absolutely. Even incorporating it into different subjects um, is just a matter of, you know, a bit of additional teacher training in order for them to mm-hmm. understand the fundamentals of computer science and realize actually that is underpinning a lot of the learning that they have. I remember one of the CPDs that we were doing with a school in London had um, a gym teacher that had come to the the CPD and everyone was like, oh, what are you doing here? You know, to their colleague. And he was like, I don't know. I just wanted to check it out. I love drones and coding because, you know, we let them fly drones around and had some drone races, which is always a (laughs) big pull. And Mm -hmm. at the end, he said, you know what? A lot of the sports activities that we do are like algorithms. And I said, absolutely. So he could actually teach fundamentals of algorithms in, you know, his physical education classes. And then you're, you know, killing two birds with one stone as as the expression goes. But the kids would be able to say, you know, the same way that you're reading a pattern as you're going through these cones is the same way that a computer reads patterns when it's trying to solve a problem. Or you yeah. could, you know, take how that you back do a to layup. the classroom. Yeah, how you do a layup exactly. on basketball. This is what you have to do. If you don't do it in this order, you're not going to score a basket. Exactly. Know. Exactly. Yeah, it just comes back to that being a tool, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying the podcast, simply hit the like and subscribe button on your favourite podcast platform. If you have the time, leave us a review. You can do that really easily by going to ratemypodcast.com forward slash fast forward. So Cypher, let's talk about Cypher. Um, It's now four years old. I think you started it in 2016. Tell us a bit. uh, Tell us about all about it, I guess. What what started you, inspired you to start it and what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, great. Well, I think um, Cypher... Just generally, try, we try to inspire children to learn uh, the language of the future. And we do that through creatively themed coding camps and after school clubs. And we also teach in the curriculum. And by creative themes, I mean things like fashion and coding or architecture and coding. Or one of our summer camps is uh, conservation and coding, where they learn about um, how uh, to save the oceans with technology as a, as a little example. And by using those creative themes, we really try to get a broader range of children interested in computing because Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I found, you know, as you were speaking about the dichotomy between those two worlds of cheerleader land and computer science land is actually, it's not that my cheerleading friends wouldn't be interested in coding. It's just the way that computing and computer science was approached in Mm -hmm. that time was essentially made for gamers and because my cheerleading friends didn't play video games why would they be interested but actually um you know one of my friends who is a fashion designer we um make fashion apps or we design patterns using uh, using code and those are the exact kind of tools that you would need to have you know computer science for and then she was would be really interested so Mm -hmm. 
at Cypher, we use these creative themes to pull children in and then we still, you know, go about teaching the same fundamentals of computer science and building them up from, you know, age five all the way to 14 using block-based languages, which are essentially, like you could imagine, code inside of virtual Lego blocks that you can (laughs) stack together, which is called Scratch. Uh, And we teach them skills like touch typing and things like that. And then all the way up through JavaScript and Python, those kinds of things that create their own websites. So really with Cypher, what we're trying to do is empower children through these creative themes to learn learn about technology and learn how coding can help them solve whatever problems that they might come across it or want to tackle for their futures. Um, And as I mentioned, we have our summer camps, uh, which are normally in-person holiday camps. You can imagine the American style fun, Mm -hmm. go to camp, have a pack lunch, all of that exciting thing, play games, get a (laughs) t-shirt. And then the after school clubs and obviously Um, post-COVID that's changed significantly. We do still have our in-person camps running, thankfully, um, for some of the parents that are desperate for a bit of extra Yes, you can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. But we also have uh, now transformed all of our learning online, which has been an amazing um, experience for me to see how just quickly my team has responded and how um, how advanced the children have become mm-hmm. in such a short amount of time. I mean, even from the students that we saw in April to now, it's July, their technology skills have improved so much and just their confidence in using technology that I think it's the one piece that we can take away from this pandemic as actually, you know, a benefit towards mm-hmm. the children and their learning. <laughs> they've had to, they've had to learn at pace, you know, <laughs> the same as everybody else. I think we've exactly. You know, and these advanced. are the kinds of things that wouldn't be on the curriculum, as you as you mentioned. But actually, now so many of those children that have been fortunate enough to have access to computers and technology and the internet have become so proficient and so quickly that they'll, you know, be stead in such a great place for implementing technology into their learning going forward once they return to school as well. Yeah. Um, just yeah it just is that I suppose the impact of of having to you know do what everybody else has has done um, and the yeah. business has coped well so it, it wasn't difficult for you guys to pivot from that to the, those boot camps to to moving online obviously it sounds like well children are really adaptable aren't they but yeah. you know from a business point of view how did you know how did that all kind of unfold in that period yeah I mean I I, I wouldn't say it was easy but for us um we were quite fortunate because our team um works really well remotely together so that was a a bonus and we had about a one-year plan to transition all of our camps and things online so because we sort of had that plan in place we actually came together and implemented it within a week (laughs) so that Mm -hmm. was quite um exciting um, but you, you've, I'm sure, heard those stories with other businesses as well. But for us, um, it was almost like a, a, an easier step in one way because you can imagine the logistics and coordination of 10 different camps happening at 10 different locations with, you know, 30 different teachers and picking children up and dropping them off and children coming Tuesday and Thursday or Monday to Friday and you have computers and you have kits and you have all of that being coordinated and delivered on time. You know, it's a serious event planning Mm. business. Uh, Then it seems like transitioning and doing that all online takes away so many of those logistical Mm. challenges that our team actually said after we finished, wow, this is actually really easy compared to what we normally do. <laughs> so, so I think for us, we're, we're quite fortunate because what we did before really well um, was a challenging business. And, you know, we've automated so many processes and streamlined that whole thing that then having to transition and do that online seemed like second nature. So mm. we were very fortunate in that way. But um, it definitely was quick and a challenge. But I know everybody 
went through similar things, but yeah. we are fortunate enough to sort of have just added a completely new revenue stream, but also, um, you know, having missed out on our April camps and things, which were disappointment for, I know the kids and one mm-hmm. of our camps was even scheduled at the London zoo. So we were oh. quite devastated about that, oh, but no. we will be back there. Um, but we were lucky to almost replace that revenue with our new online revenue stream, which we are now mm-hmm. gl- growing globally. So that's super exciting as a business. You know, we have students from, um, Northern Ireland, the U S the UAE and all across Europe as well. So it's been super exciting. We've already just since April had over 5,000 hours of children learning online with, um, I think, since 400 and, yeah, since April, over 400 students. So it's, it's really, I mean, more than we could have ever hoped for. And Hi. we're just happy to be able to still offer these things to the children that are coming to Cypher. How would that have compared to your forecast on a face-to-face basis? I'm just interested, you know, would you, what was your forecast for hours delivered in April? Yeah. And back in the um, world of no well, COVID? Well, <laughs> I think that um, the hours are difficult to, um, to compare because we have full day camps in person mm-hmm. versus our online camps are only 90 minutes a day, which okay. is super helpful for the parents. And also I think it's a digestible chunk for the kids to um, get really involved in, but also not be too much sitting in front mm-hmm. of the screen time. Yeah. Um, but in comparison, you know, we've had over 400 kids um, online, which in person, because of, you know, um, constraints of area, we would have been at about half that. So that's really exciting. Cool. You know, we've we've had access to twice as, at least twice as many children, obviously not being constrained to a specific a specific area. Yeah. Um, and as we grow, I think that's one of the things that we are looking to continue to facilitate is that we have the, um, oh, hello, I have a little visitor again. Oh, hello. more chocolate eggs. <laughs> she knows there's chocolate eggs on the go now. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, but we, we like to have the pairing of that in-person uh, relationships and camps and also be able to then offer that online. So I think mm. that's the model that we'll be growing with Cypher. So, you know, we have um, little pockets forming in different regions across yeah. the world, which then after COVID, we will be able to offer Capitalize. our in-person camps as well. So you have yeah. kind of the best of both worlds because that collaboration and things that you get in person is something that's challenging to replicate when you're online. Um, So both are really an essential part of Cypher's offering now. Yeah. Um, So I guess there there used to be a world, I don't know if you remember it, um, (laughs) pre-COVID. We all used to live there, some parallel universe. Um, And, uh, you know, I... You, you set up the business um, when, you know, none of this was on the horizon, you know, 2016. Mm-hmm. I can't even think what we were looking forward to um, then. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, like any entrepreneur, it's not plain sailing from the get go. Um, so, you know, COVID aside, because that sounds like it's been a challenge, but also an amazing opportunity for you. Um, what would you say your, your main challenges have been um, over the sort of first couple of years of the business? I think uh, when setting up Cypher over the first couple of years, the biggest challenges were for us probably automating all of the things that we wanted to maintain in terms of quality. So mm-hmm. when we had, you know, when I of course first ran my first coding camp and I was teaching and providing all of the resources and I had, you know, two teachers with me, mm-hmm. you can ensure that everything is exactly how you'd like it. Everything is perfect. The quality is perfect. So one of the things that I really focused on at the beginning was being able to replicate that and automate all of that so that we didn't lose that personal interaction and the journey that the children have while coming to Cypher and the, um, the learning progression and learning journey that they have. Mm. I think another challenge that um, you know a lot of entrepreneurs obviously see is growing a team. And, you know, you sometimes get that right and you sometimes get that wrong. And dealing with people is something that uh, when you set up a business, you don't think, oh, I have to be good at hiring and, um, you know, training people and all those kinds of things. But I've been very fortunate to have only a few 
you know, people that are, don't quite fit as well, but actually to find amazing, um, team members to come on board. One of, um, my most recent hires, well, actually she's been with us a year now was our, is our COO who was, um, ran the NatWest business accelerator in London. And then she came on board as our COO after being my mentor, which was exciting. So that, Amazing. that's been, yeah, really great. And even our creative director who was with us from the beginning, uh, she has about 30 years of brand uh, building experience. So I think it's just getting the right team around you and the people mm-hmm. around you and knowing that they also go through these personal changes and personal journeys. Um, one of, uh, the first people with me, Jonathan, who writes our content, uh, you know, sometimes he's working full time. Sometimes he's working two days a week. So I think transitioning with all of the, how do we work as a team, um, is something that you wouldn't foresee as a founder having to mm-hmm. deal with, but actually yeah. becomes a crucial part of the business as you grow. Yeah. Um, it probably helps to have a very purposeful business, which which you guys definitely, you definitely do. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point because we had a sort of a team meeting right before COVID hit and um, Jody ran this workshop where we said, okay, what's the, the mission of Cypher and the vision and what's your own personal visions and missions for yourself? And she said after, you know, she's run these workshops with hundreds of other businesses and she couldn't believe that every single person on our team knew exactly what Cypher's mission was, knew exactly how their role fit in and how it kind of aligned with their personal goals. And I think that's one of the strongest things about Cypher is that we are all in this for our own, you know, self-growth and, you know, selfish reasons, really, you know, to Mm -hmm. inspire children or to create outstanding lesson plans or to build an amazing brand. We all have the same vision behind it is to empower these children in the future and get them all future ready for what we see as an amazing opportunity and amazing things to come. Yeah. So how have you funded it this time around? Have you, because obviously you spoke briefly about your uh, raising experience with your husband, um, mm-hmm. but this time around, have you, have you bootstrapped or how have you, or what does the, uh, the investment strategy for Cypher look like? Yeah, um, well, a bit of bootstrapping up just to kick things off, but then I was very fortunate at the beginning to have a group of angel investors who are mostly friends and family who have seen me, you know, in in the past build businesses and just, you know, my personal ambitions and things. So they said, here you go. You know what? Go for it. We believe in Mm -hmm. you, which has been the biggest support system. So even after having my third child, uh, you know, and saying, oh, how are my investors going to take it? Every single one of them said, Elizabeth, this will just make you go faster and do it better because you will have another little human to yeah. <laughs> build this business for and to create this opportunity for. And so they came in again with um, a second round of investment. And then I um, raised last year through Adelpha Capital, uh, which is run by a woman called Addie, who is just amazing and super supportive. And my favorite thing about her is that she supports businesses that are amazing businesses for their business accolades but they Mm -hmm. just happen to oftentimes be founded by females Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily female founders first but actually business first but run by women um so they ran my round last year and then we just closed a small investment round um a couple of months ago which again we're all from existing investors and we had one or two new investors um but they were kind of close connections to existing investors. So I've been very fortunate um, with those choices. And again, it comes down to that personal relationship and just really um, putting out there who, what your vision is and finding those people that really support, support that vision um, and will come along for the journey. And in terms yeah. of the future, now that we have um, kind of accelerated our growth plans um, with our online offering, we are going to be raising again later in the year, um, but a, a bigger round so that we can 
go global more quickly, which I am super excited about because the potential that we have is amazing. And just this kind of following that we've built up is so phenomenal with the children that we have in our camps. We're so fortunate to have such amazing students and parents just really helping us to push this to the next level and make it available for a broader range of children across the world. Yeah. So um, in your spare time, (laughs) I don't know where you find time to do this, but you've written six books. (laughs) Yes. When do you Um, you get time to do that? (laughs) That's incredible. um, My my most recent book was um, is Python for Children. Um, which I was uh, commissioned to write. So that was exciting. And that was when I was first um, just setting up Cypher. So it's almost like when you first set up a business, you don't have any time, but actually you have a bit more time because you don't have as many people (laughs) to interact with. So your time is a little bit more your own. Um, And I just thought that that would be the perfect opportunity to set the base for my kind of ideas that were going into Cypher. So with that book, um, it it was commissioned, so it's sort of a follow-on book from a, a book about Scratch, uh, which is that block-based programming language that I had mentioned before. Um, but it is a book on Python. So I used the opportunity to break up 10 different chapters into 10 different careers. So each chapter, you could become a different career. So for example, become an artist. So the first coding exercise was using um, Turtle, which is a very old school kind of drawing application um, in Python where you just draw a square. So it's that Mm -hmm. idea of if you're an artist, you can create art with code. Or then, you know, some of the other ones were become an architect, become a fashion designer, uh, become a video game designer, the kind of usual ones that you would think about. It's the creative themes from your, from Cypher that you're then exporting into books. Exactly, exactly. And um, even with Cypher, we have over 400 lesson plans um, now, which is phenomenal amount of learning hours available, which that's on kind of our bucket list as well, is to convert those so that we can make them readily available to teachers across the world as well to give them more resources, because it's something that, you know, is definitely a challenge for teachers, um, Mm -hmm. finding quality resources and knowing how to teach that. So, We've got those in the works to, um, to hopefully get out there to the public soon as well. <laughs> um, and so if you're busy doing all of that, can I ask, how do you have time to run another business? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where does Go Space AI fit into all of this? And surely it must be busy given what, what it does. So do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was you know, quite involved with GoSpace at the beginning, as I mentioned, being the CTO. And now um, my husband really has that as his full-time role, which is Mm -hmm. always sometimes challenging having two entrepreneurs in the family. Yes. (laughs) But um, I act as the chief innovation officer and a director of the company. So realistically, that's only about half a day of my time a week. Um, just checking in with the team and uh, working through some algorithms and things. I think that was one of the most exciting um, landmarks for me in GoSpace was when we had our code that um, I initially had worked on, you know, in a little room with one other person. And it was the early days and that was probably almost eight years ago or more. And that code um, was patented in the U.S. and now is getting further patents globally. And it's how the algorithms fit together that are what you can patent. It's not necessarily the the words of the code. Mm -hmm. Um, So the way that algorithms fit together is also kind of one of those things that really inspires me in Cypher to get that broader range of children interested, particularly girls, because my husband always says, that those algorithms that we have for GoSpace wouldn't have come about without the female mindset because it was putting things together in a different way that is more of a female way of thinking than a, a male way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So taking that um, as kind of a basis and saying, you know, we need to get more girls and boys working together because you come up with more interesting solutions and more, um, you know, further advancements in, in all the fields. 
So GoSpace, um, which is a, an artificial intelligence engine, um, which is currently allocating team space um, and office space and utilizing that. So as you said, it's quite busy at the moment um, with helping people to return to work with social distancing mm-hmm. and optimizing their real estate. Um, I'd imagine there's been a few just, updates to the code. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but And it's um, quite fortunate because we have sort of been you know, pushing that this is how you can optimize, this is how you can get teams together, this is how you can work more efficiently. And now the marketplace has actually come up to meet us, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's fortunate that we were sort of ahead of the game in a sense in, um, on that side um, and helping to facilitate the, the move back to the office, which I know a lot of people and a lot of corporates are struggling with at the minute mm-hmm. um, to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we all have a vision to get back there some of the time, and but certainly not in yeah. the same way that it was before. Exactly, and that, that's the that's the exciting thing about GoSpace is that you can work out with people's schedules who needs to be together at the right time, and that I think from working at home so much, what we found as our team is that you know you don't need to be together every day, but sometimes you need to be get together with the right people. So it's not mm-hmm. just about going into the office; it's about going into the office at the right time with the right people and communicating and letting that idea generation and flow kind of work in a, in a more organic way. That's very difficult to duplicate on zoom or, yeah. <laughs> you know, on video or an audio on a podcast yes. on two different sides of the Atlantic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think what you were saying there, you know, about the fact that the patent and co that go space, you know, what your husband said wouldn't exist without the female mindset. That's possibly why um, Adelphi Capital is so successful being run Mm -hmm. uh, by women. They'll see opportunities and businesses that, you know, men won't be able to see um, because they don't relate to those to those challenges. So, um, yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. And Um, I'm a huge proponent of the, the fact that even in this, you know, day and age is that Yes, we can definitely be equal men and women, but actually we need mm-hmm. to celebrate our differences, differences. because what, we need them. what females bring to the table are so important. But similarly, you know, males are very competitive, have, mm-hmm. you know, one vision that they kind of push towards, which, you know, females can also take, take an example from. So I mm-hmm. think by having those t- two different mindsets and two different kind of skill sets that are just inherently within yeah. us that we can't really help you know yeah. I can no, be more analytical or you can yeah, be more analytical but those aren't the male female but bringing them together is important yeah well there's loads of research um out there that show men and women make better decisions together you know yeah whether all men or all women but men and women together make better decisions so um, yeah and yes, that was actually when together. I when I founded Cypher one of the um trickiest decisions uh, was shall I create a company that's just teaching girls how to code? And you might notice in Cipher the way that it's spelled has her in the title, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit kind of subliminal messaging there. Um, but after you know a lot of research and consideration, having something that's more inclusive and has both mm-hmm. boys and girls is what we came to. And then therefore we behind the scenes more promote things and creative subjects and themes that might interest more girls. So currently mm-hmm. we have 52% of our students are female, which is Incredible. super exciting. Yeah. But from the outside or from the outside, you wouldn't necessarily think that this is a coding company for girls, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it naturally brings in boys as well, but we really target a lot of our yeah. um, themes and projects and things towards girls and getting them interested. Yeah. It's kind of like what um, Tumblr, because that's what Tumblr used to use elements of coding, didn't it? But mm-hmm. you know, we all enjoyed yeah. Tumblr whenever it was around. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Or um, MySpace. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's just fascinating to hear all of the things that you are, are involved in, Elizabeth. And no doubt all of the drive that you have from your cheer days and your um, <laughs> your gaming and uh, breaking stereotypes um, right through your early years have have 
come through with that continued passion that you have um, along with um, the ambition to make a difference. Um, so I could talk to you all day, but um, you have a very, very busy schedule and um, lots of chocolate eggs to go out. So I am going to um, wrap the podcast. But before we do, we always like to end with some advice for other entrepreneurs um, mm-hmm. from each of the uh, guests that we have on the show. So um, perhaps maybe we could end the podcast with some sort of maybe some pieces of advice that you have been given, you know, over the years that really made a difference or, you know, perhaps maybe something that you wish somebody had told you, but they didn't. Um, you know, what uh, what could you um, share with us to wrap the show? Yeah, of course. I would love to try to help anyone <laughs> that I can with little piece of advice. I think uh, what I would like to share is that the most important thing I've found being an entrepreneur and, you know, having had co-founders in the past or being a solo founder is just surrounding yourself with uh, people that will support you. So finding members of your team that can take things on that, you know, complement your skill set or investors that believe in the same vision as you. It's the people that you surround yourself with that will make your business a success um, I'd like to say I could do this business on my own, but actually at this moment I could step away and know that my business would be completely well looked after by the amazing team that, that is the business. Um, so my main piece of advice would be to surround yourself with people that will support you. And that's definitely on the business side, but also on the personal side. So For me, I couldn't do any of the things that I do without the support of my husband. And I know that sounds totally cliche, but actually, you know, it's... Somebody's going to look after all those kids. (laughs) You're you're busy Well, (laughs) writing books and changing the world and getting kids into space. And getting sort of just um, hanging out with us. I think that's sort of the, the second piece of advice is just if you do have children bring them along with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my kids have been more involved with building this business than, you know, some, some of the adults. <laughs> so bring the kids can come with you, especially in this day and age, you know, where you had the little one popping in for some chocolate eggs. You would think it was Easter in our house all year <laughs> round, but it's not. I just store them up. Mm. Um, <laughs> but bring the kids with you wherever you go and whatever you do in your, um, journey as an entrepreneur and also surround yourself with as many supportive people as you can. Oh, amazing. Love it. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely top tip is chocolate eggs um, to keep them <laughs> distracted. I know that tr- trick well. Um, yes. Thank you, Elizabeth, for um, sharing your story with us. I have really enjoyed um, listening to it. Um, I think you are um, showing your own children the same role model um, experience that you had with your dad um, yes. when you were growing up. And look where that has taken you now. So, um, I'll be checking in with uh, Cypher, I guess, in 20 years to see what happened to the children. Um, Great. But, well, thank you yeah. so much for having me. It's been such a fun time and just chatting about it all. <laughs> so nice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Fast Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital and creative startups in the Northwest. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Bellier, audio editing by Jamie Gownlock, and music by Parma Violets. If you've any questions, feel free to drop us a line at info at techmanchester.co.uk or follow us on any of our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn, all under Tech Manchester. Manchester.